what is interesting is very little of the collection was acquired at auction. So we, most people who will come in, you know, who knew of him had no idea of the breadth and the depth of the scope of what he was doing. And also there are things that are completely unfamiliar. There are things that did come from auction, the fabulous Sturdivant, which he bought at Phillips, the Alma Thomas, which he acquired here. There are some things that, but, but very small percentage. Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. Live Arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works. I'm your host, Marion Maniker. This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. When the $270 million Gerald Feinberg collection was announced, Christie Sarah Friedlander remarked that the Boston real estate developer bought art like a curator, citing his ability to go deep into key movements like the artists of Black Mountain College, the Ninth Street Women, Gutai, Pop, Minimalism, Artie Provera, and the Pictures Generation. Friedlander also points out that Feinberg had important works by Gerhard Richter, Christopher Wool, Alice Neal, Man Ray, Buford Delaney, and Barclay Hendricks. We sat down this week to talk through as much of the art on offer as we could possibly discuss in 30 minutes. Highlights from the Feinberg collection on view at Christie's until May 13th, when the entire collection be on display at the auction house's Rockefeller Center headquarters. The highlights are hung in an engaging salon style. That means the works are sitting edge to edge. But the final exhibition will offer a different perspective. Auction season in New York is a rare opportunity to see art. The auction houses are open to the public, so avail yourself of this privilege. Starting May 6th, find the time to stop by each house and the many gallery shows that are up in town. Sarah Friedlander, you have the biggest sale uh, of the season, the Gerald Feinberg collection, with, I think, an estimate, a low estimate in the $200 million range? Yep. Do you want to talk about how it came to pass? You were friends with uh, Mr. Feinberg. You worked with him over the years. I, it's so, I, it's, it's pretty emotional, I have to say. I mean, this is really the first collector of this scale, and he really was a collector. I mean, talk about eclectic all over the map that I knew really well um, that died. And, you know, we talk about collections here a lot, and we talk about the art a lot, and we get into the story of who the man was, who the woman was, but I think, you know, there is a human, a real human element to all of this. And, you know, here, here was this really wonderful guy who lived a great life between Boston and Florida. I think when he first really started buying art, it became a hobby, and or it was a hobby, and it quickly transitioned into a major passion. And for all of us in the, in the biz who work with people who are passionate, like, that's why we do this. I mean, to sit with someone and talk about 
okay, how do we get every artist from the Black Mountain College School? What are all the Ninth Street women that have been missing from, you know, the collection? Like that's that's the game. There's it's 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 amazing and it's a huge it's a colossal loss, um, truly. So in tribute to him in your um, exhibition here, you created a very tight salon hang of only a fraction uh, of the works. And, and I thought some of the pairings were just fantastic. There's a, an Alma Thomas over an Alex Katz that has a sort of similar pinkish register to them, but also fit in other way, uh, ways. There's the Alice Neal underneath the small uh, de Kooning East Hampton uh, uh, painting and, and a dozen more that I can't even uh, remember right now. Uh, how much time did you spend on that? And is that like a reflection of his own pairings or your sort of remix of his collection? It's funny. We we have highlights up right now, which is how we have the salon style wall. And then we'll deinstall and we'll rehang on the 13th of May, that Saturday. And then it will be in galleries one through three where Newhouse currently is. Um, but having this salon style installation was a reflection of the way in which he lived with and collected art. I mean, he had big homes. He actually lived in apartment buildings, but there were these pairings that occurred. I mean, in his bedroom, you had the Neil with the Calder, with the Richter, with the Picabia and the Man Ray. I mean, he, you know, there wasn't, it was a curation filled with great spontaneity. And, um, you know, when we looked at this sale, these these two sales, the part one and part two sale, we really felt like these were the dream various owner sales that we could only wish for. It just happens that they're from one collection. In a funny way, they shouldn't be because I know very few collectors who are buying in this way. And um, it is nice to have conversations with artists and periods that you wouldn't normally think about. I mean, we often relegate, you know, Gutai works to a Hong Kong sale or a Paris sale to have it in New York with Mitchell, with de Kooning. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm no like brilliant curator, but it is, it is an interesting, it is interesting to see. Well, I was, a, you know, there's a, a gorgeous Mark Toby and a great uh, Buford Delaney uh, in the, the sale, and you resisted putting those two to, to, together. I mean, there's, it, there's not obvious uh, pairings. And, and then there's a, a, a couple of, just because they're so large, um, uh, standout works that take up sort of one wall, and, and maybe we can start in there. You know, the problem with talking about this collection is they're big ticket I items, but there are also so many other I interesting works that maybe, you know, aren't priced in the same way, but are just as interesting as sure. the I big mean, ticket items. It's, and, and Jerry wasn't a trophy, you know, hunter. So yes, there are, I think the Richter and the, and the wool are the two highest value things at 15 to 20 million each. And then it, it really drops down. I mean, the, the, there's a prescience to it because there's things that do look like trophies now, now sure. right? That not not because you would have seen it then, but have have become. Right. I mean, there's that that East Hampton picture. You know, there's the big late de Kooning, and and it's a, a higher value work. But those uh, that East Hampton picture looks like it's you know in the context of what's been happening with de Kooning's market sure. is the kind of thing that people who that series of seventy seven paintings he did in East Hampton is so rare. We've I've seen 
we've seen one at auction. I've seen one privately. They just they don't they don't come up. So let's just talk about the the wool and the uh, Richter, mm-hmm. the the two biggest. The the wool is a uh, uh, you know a, a, what was it? I can't remember what the text it, it is. How can you not remember that text? Get I, the fuck out of my house. There you go. If you can't take a joke, thank you. This is one of two colored text paintings he did. Jerry bought it from Luring Augustine a few years after it was made. The other one's in a private European collection. And look, we all know the wool market's been a little bit soft. We've seen a lot of volume on the market. But I think that this is something quite exceptional and, and rare. But doesn't that, these things go in cycles? And often if there's been a pause and a great work, a rare work, those are usually brings people out with the familiarity and uh, the sort of sense of uh, sure. this is a one-stop, uh, uh, last chance saloon, I believe is the yeah. And then the Richter is a, a figurative work from the 60s? The Richter was done in 1967. Jerry bought it from David Nolan Gallery in 1987. It hung in his bedroom in Boston. I don't love the expression tour de force, but if you spend time in front of this painting, I mean, obviously very much influenced by very classic bathing scenes. And, you know, Richter, uh, we've all seen the brilliant show of, of his most recent and perhaps latest work um, or last work at David's Warner Gallery. Um, I don't know any artist who moves between figuration and abstraction quite as brilliantly as as Mr. Richter. And and it, it is a theme of Jerry's collection that there is a great deal of figuration and abstraction, which is also quite rare. And getting back to the de Koonings, there's the the late work. It's from sometime in the 80s. I can't mm-hmm. remember what the, the date, date is. Um, and then there must be three or four other... The later de Kooning is 1983, which is a beautiful painting that came from the de Kooning Foundation, which Jerry actually bought relatively recently um, in 2014. It, it's interesting. There are a few artists that he collected in depth and um, some kind of classic post-war artists like de Kooning, some more contemporary artists like Richard Prince. Um, and it's always interesting to see like what what was the one-ofs versus the one the ones in depth. But um, I'm particularly interested in, in the Lee Krasners in this in this collection um, because it's rare to have uh, two, actually three such extraordinary ones within within two days. And you know he would often um, Jerry would often f- you know, get one and fall in love and feel like he needed another one, either from the same period or from a different period. So there are two really great, great Krasners. Well, the two Krasners I've seen in the in the show are very strong. One is is sort of uh, you did the reverse. You gave it a lot of breathing room and pride of place uh, there, and it's a very striking uh, uh, picture. Uh, it, it, I'm assuming there's there's that's a market that's just waiting for good work. Right, that it's going to be supply driven. I, I I think so too. I mean, I think we we have not seen so many on the market, and she is an artist that is on everyone's wish list, and that wasn't the case when Jerry was buying, actually. And that was a, another theme here is that he, look, he was an opportunistic collector, like I think all collectors are. Right, you want to, you know, you're putting money into something that you hope at least, you know, (laughs) right, exactly. Um, But I think he was, he, there was a genuine interest in passion in kind of the discovery. And that's, and that's what you see in so many of these, 
these artists and so many of these acquisitions. If we've given Krasner pride of place, which she deserves, there is a small Pollock uh, mm -hmm. in the collection as well. It's a very striking uh, uh, painting. It's it's not a you know it's not a drip painting and, and and all, but it's it's certainly by no means an insignificant. You know th those objects are rare on the private market uh, uh, at all. Look, I think uh, I think every great. Post-war American collection needs a Jackson Pollock, right? I mean, the OG. Some might argue also a Thomas Hart Benton, which Jerry didn't have, unfortunately. But, um, but yeah, it's a great work composition with varied forms, 1938 to 1941. He hung it next to an early John Graham, which is also in the day sale. So again, it, it was, it wasn't one like linear art historical collection that he was building. He, he meandered. He went all over the place. You mentioned uh, Benton, not one because that you know he's considered American art, and that didn't that was too far afield for him. Maybe, or just... yeah, maybe, or maybe he just didn't find the right one. I actually think had he found the right one, maybe it it would have found a place in the collection. But and was he buying sort of on these kinds of chains of like you know I've got this and then I need something else, or as you said more, it's like things that came up. That seemed like they would fit. I think in. a little bit of both. What what is interesting is very little of the collection was acquired at auction. So we most people who will come in, you know, who knew of him had no idea of the breadth and the depth of the scope of what he was doing. And also, there are things that are completely unfamiliar. There are things that did come from auction. The fabulous Sturdivant, which he bought at Phillips. The Alma Thomas, which he acquired here. There are some things that, but but very small percentage. So so. Uh, a work that was auctioned but failed at auction is the spectacular Barclay Hendrix mm. uh, 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 painting of Stanley Whit Whitney. And I guess that's the, sort of to the point, right, that he went after things that he was interested in and didn't really care that, um, you know, no one had bought it and uh, at, at auction, you know, when it was in a sale, uh, um, you know, not in a mainstream sale, but uh, Hendrick's work wasn't in mainstream sales until re re recently. That's what I, I, a great example of, you know, what is a trophy now and wasn't when he. Uh, sure. I, I think it should be a it should be a good lesson to everyone. I mean, I hate when things don't sell at auction. It's such a bummer. But, you know, it's also not the end of the world. And sometimes something doesn't sell and it resells in a you know, in a, in a wonderful way. So I, and I do think, and this is not a public service announcement, although maybe it should be, like, if something doesn't sell, make an after sale offer. I mean, there could be great opportunities there. And, you know, the truth is our sell through rates historically in the past couple of years have been phenomenal. I mean, the fact that we're selling at least 80% or more of these sales is an extraordinary testament to the depth of this market. But that means that sometimes like between 10 and 20% of things aren't selling. Like call me, make, like make an offer. There are good things to buy. It could be the next. Barkley Hendricks. I think with the Frick show coming up, which everyone's really excited about, he's an artist that has, you know, we've seen kind of transcend all genres. There's There are two paintings at L, uh, LGDR's show right now, which are phenomenal. The photography show that he just had was amazing. Yeah, I think we're still like even learning more and more about him. There's a, a Ruth Asawa talk about another artist that sort of no one really follow. I don't know how long he's he's had his uh, Asawa, uh, but it's only been in the last sort of ten he years or so. In, he bought it from from the estate uh, in 2015. You know, Christie's handled my former colleague and friend Jonathan Labe um, did this amazing show, and 
uh, yeah, so it came, it came from that, from the estate. It's an, it's, it's wonderful. It has a very beautiful and particular patina and, um, these 1955 works, they're so rare. As I said, we're, it's like what we always go after proactively to have in our sale and no one ever wants to sell them. Uh, did he need to be educated about, about her? Was it something he was looking for, something he fell in love with? Yeah, I think that that show, I think no one knew that they were looking for Ruth Asawa until they saw that show. Did you see that show? Do you remember when we did that show? I mean, we did two shows, actually. And it was like, I mean, they were literally like celestial, almost alien forms. People were like, what is this? And then Helen Molesworth, of course, did the great Black Mountain College show, which tied into it really well. And then Zwerner took on the Albers estate and it all, someone, someone masterminded this in a really beautiful way. But, um, but I think every, every collector who I know who's lucky enough to have one, you know, they, they can, they really transform. They're so wonderful to live with. So we, we see them. You could be like Glenstone and have, you know, five or six. You I should gotta... be so lucky. <laughs> Everyone should be like Glenstone. <laughs> so, but, but it's, I guess that that's the point is he he wasn't necessarily on a shopping list or even seeing other people's uh, uh, asawas. It was sort of seeing the work and having the same kind of re response that everyone else did. Did like, where's this been all my life? I I wish I'd known about it before. He has a it's it's one work, but it is a multiple panel boetti. Mm. Uh, and I've I've just been noticing that those little like these are four by fours, but the, the, these little tapestry pieces um, individually have become quite popular and valuable. And this is, it's like some of those um, uh, uh, Warhol, you know, uh, Jackies and uh, other, this is, this is uh, an immense uh, one and not, not an considerable estimate. It's, it. it's one work. That's important to know. It wasn't like put together after it's like listed as one actual work in the catalog raisonné. So if you buy it, don't, Don't try to split it up and sell it. Because, um, you know, some of those Warhols were put together not by Warhol. Yep. Um, he had it, uh, he had it in, in, in Palm Beach. It looked phenomenal. Um, it, it's interesting because, you know, Jerry had, had a good amount of art de pauvre, which is rare for like a guy from Boston. Um, but it, it, but it is an extraordinary one. We made a big price for a large tuto last season of over $5 million. So I'm, I think we're all feeling something in Boetti. Um, and of course, you know, there are issues around condition or certificates, none of which this piece has. So it's, it's rare to see one, you know, of this, of this great caliber. And I think cool to sell it within the context of like the New York sale. Well, it's what's great about it is it bridges these two markets. The market for the little tapestry pieces, mm -hmm. which seems to be, it, it, as near as I can tell, the um, those and some of the airplanes were were bubbling up, and that made the big map prices possible sure. because of all of this activity. So to see something that sort of is both a, a large scale work but made up of small scale works is very interesting. At least uh, a great map. Where did I see a great map? Oh. In J.P. Morgan's collection, I was there the other day, and they have an incredible Napa, a beautiful blue one. They have great art. Should go to J.P. Morgan. The one yeah. up at Madison Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I've seen. But that's amazing. That Napa. Ooh. Well, you know, Sarah, we mere mortals don't all get invited up to J.P. Yeah. Morgan to look at the. Well, listen, art. I went. I went as the help to talk to David Schrader, okay, <laughs> about the art market. So I'm not. I'm not. I'm putting myself in the sub mortal category there. <laughs> 
You mentioned the Alma Thomas. Yeah. That Alma Thomas was a kind of a big deal when it was sold, but seems like a lot to move forward. In yeah. The, I mean, and, and I know lots of people want Alma Thomases, and there's just not a lot to, to get. So this seems like another chip another bite at the apple. It's a great painting. You know, we had it in 2019 and and to be honest, I thought I thought it would I thought it would do more. I mean, it it sold on one bid to Jerry and um I think we're in a different we have it at the same estimate, but I do think we're in a different moment in the market right now. But I don't think we've seen one like this since then. There have been some great ones, some smaller ones which have done very well. But I'm not wrong that there are people desperately looking for yes. these. Yes. There's also Prince Cowboys uh, seem to be a lot of demand and you have a great Prince Cowboy. Yes. Here. Richard was another artist, as I said earlier, that Jerry collected in depth. And there are actually um, two really great works of Richard's that we have held back that will be sold in the November sale. Um, just because we didn't want, you know, too much on the market at the same time. But he, Jerry also had great photographs by Richard. Obviously, the nurse is amazing, and yeah, I think the cowboy, the cowboy is great. And then uh, uh, underneath the Thomas, you have this Alex Katz with the bright pink uh, hat. This is one of the, I think it was the first thing I sold to Jerry, and it came from Christie's. It was a private sale, and it was at a moment where the, there was, I mean, there was not really a great Katz market, but it was Ada in a pink hat and just like like as good as it gets. I was happy he had it. He hung it in his bedroom in Florida. The, the cat's market, the great cat's market that always seemed like it should have developed mm. never really has. I think the prices have gone up, especially in anticipation of the uh, retrospective. And it seems like even coming out of the retrospective, which speaks well of, you know, what people saw there. I assume that's the same thing. It's like, it's, it's totally supply driven. If you had a great sort of 70s, 80s, uh, you know, double portrait or whatever, that uh, there would be uh, a lot of interest in it. And this seems, as you said, it's an Ada and it's, you know, very colorful. Seems like uh, uh, the most opportune, like almost like you picked it. To, right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's the supply. You're right. I mean, and and the 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 joy and the pain point of these retrospectives for the market is it gets people excited. It makes people feel opportunistic. It makes people either want to sell or want to buy, but it does always or often create a supply issue, which, you know, can be detrimental to the artist's market, you know, in, in, in the short term. Um, I don't think that's exactly the case with cats. And actually there is not so much cats on the market now that the show is over. So, um, and, and he's, you know, the Guggenheim show, which I think universally, I mean, look, as long as Roberta Smith likes it, then that's the only thing that matters, um, did, did do a good job of, of taking out some of the, like, yeah, he's a good commercial artist that people are happy to have to like a really important part of the American figurative story. No, and to a chance to see the collages. I mean, I, I think like collages are so good. The, the range of his work. It, it, you don't often see, and it's either reduced to the black dresses or, you know, uh, some of these other th things. But to see that and to see those great um, sort of multi, you know, the party scenes and, and the multiple portraits. Uh, I, I, I guess this is a good example of what you were saying earlier about 
Feinberg being like a various owner's sale or the ideal various owner's sale because here's this great work that you would have gone out to in response to all this, look for as a way to sell into that environment. There's truly something for everyone in this sale. If you are a classic modern art collector, there is a great Picabia and a great Picasso and a great Man Ray, if you are. I'm told that um, uh, the Met is working on a Man Ray uh, yes. exhibition, and so this would seem like, uh, in, in, in anticipation of that, a great opportunity. Well, the portrait of Kiki was sort of the inspiration for this idea of a century of art, which is what we've titled The Sale, and you know, um, we tend to get kind of annoying and gimmicky with the, with these titles, but the painting dates from 1923 and it's now 2023. And I think it, it actually is. I mean, he, he's had it for a while, although it wasn't certainly one of the earliest things he bought. He bought it in 2006. Um, but I think that it is very emblematic of the way in which he was thinking about art and the sort of canon and, and Kiki, you know, as this sort of beautiful, fabulous muse of the modern era is a kind of perfect, like, um, icon for for Jerry's sale. It's a great it's a great painting. We never see paintings. Um, we've we've sold uh, as you know some great um, f- photographs for for very big prices, including the beautiful Kiki um, bust. So it will be exciting to see. I don't know if the painting will do more than the photograph, which will make my colleagues in the photography department very excited. <laughs> As photographs go, that's one of the more famous photographs in in the world. But uh, but paintings are rare. Yeah, it's, a it's amazing. And it, it's it's not an antique looking painting. I think it's the other uh, part of yeah. it. I mean, if if you didn't have the na- the artist name on it, if you were just looking at it as an I- image, it seems like an I- image that would be appealing. Sure, sure. I mentioned the Toby er, earlier and the Buford uh, Delaney. Is that the the Toby sort of, you know, you have a Pollock, you have a Toby. How does that end up in his collection? I mean, Toby's been so overlooked, undervalued. There was that amazing show at Pace of Mark Toby's work. Um, And I think, again, as Jerry looked at the, you know, canon of, you know, American abstract expressionism like why what like why haven't we had a great major toby in the evening sale like we we should have i guess maybe we just haven't seen one or um haven't paid attention and and the 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 delini is so exquisite i mean we sold some figurative work by delini of james baldwin in a london sale which made a huge price i think the market's been waiting for a big um fabulous abstract painting. And, you know, the truth is of a lot of these things, there have been big prices privately for a lot of these artists. I mean, Michael Rosenfeld does an amazing job of building these markets. And there is a huge part of that that the public does not see at all. So just because we have a, you know, super low or conservative estimate on something, you know, it never means that it's worth that, especially if someone you know, up the street or down the block or, or handling A-plus works and placing them with collectors, you know, super well. That's why, you know, this is, it's like almost an embarrassment of riches for us because we don't, this, is, these, this isn't the type of art that's being sold right now. And, and this one is not even, you usually see the, those abstracts in yellow. Yeah. And this is kind of a pale blue, mm-hmm. and which makes it even more kind of feeling a rarity because you're familiar with the yellow ones, sure. and this one's so subtle and uh, right. uh, lovely. 
Anything else in the sale that we should be paying attention to? I know, I know it's a lot. I think John Wesley is a huge part of this um, story and a big part of, uh, was a huge love of Jerry's. He, one of the artists he collected in depth. Fruit Tree from 1996, which is in part two, is one of the best Wesleys I've ever seen. Um, he had great Al Hansen, which we've, we've put together in, in groupings, um, which is, you know, just cool and fantastic and you don't always see. Eveline Axel, who is like the Belgian pop female superstar of the like 60s and 70s. There are two great ones. I mean, part two is like, like where all of the jewels are. The, I the think. little Naras. Yeah. Oh, the Naras are great. He had them in the bathroom. Little Lynn Drexler, long before I talk about sought after artists that I'm assuming he owned this for, for a while. He, 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 I actually, I think that Drexler was a relatively recent purchase, but loved, loved the artist. I, I think also photography is a really important, important part of this story. And we will have a single owner Jerry photograph sale in October, um, which will have a lot of great classic photography, but here he has great you know, pictures generation, artists who are using photography as a means to an end more than classic photographies, photographers, excuse me, but there is a great Robert Frank, the political rally of Chicago, 1956, and a great Maplethorpe. Um, he didn't, he didn't see a hierarchy between painting, drawing, sculpture, photography, so a lot of mixed media here. You mentioned John Wesley. We should probably talk about the Joe Bear. Ah, uh, I love that Joe Bear. You know, very, very rare to see a great one in such beautiful condition. 1963, um, Paula Cooper provenance, Daniel Weinberg gallery provenance. Like it's really, it's, it's fabulous. And I had the honor of looking at it with Josh, who agreed that it's a great one. So you know it's good. So you got the stamp of approval. The, stamp of, the bear stamp of approval. Yeah. And we, we put it, you know, we put it in, in the part one sale along with some great minimalist art. Um, and I think, I think. You, you, a couple, lovely Ryman. Mm. Uh, there's a, a Judd Bullnose in part great two. Great Flavin, Mondrian. Yeah, minimalism was, was important. Great Agnes Martin. I mean, we didn't talk about Chamberlain and, I mean, there's, there's a lot. There's. Well, there's that lovely Chamberlain show at Mnuchin right now. I have not seen it yet, but I heard it's fantastic. It is very good. I, I've never seen so much art crammed into that gallery. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, you know, it, so it's tight, but it works. Yeah. And it, and it's sort of a, I don't know if it's a full, uh, retrospective in miniature, but it, it's a lot of different, uh, work. I feel like Mnuchin is like the one dealer who really always understood how important that work is and especially contextually. And, um, and I'm excited to see it. Well, thank you for taking the time. That was an education. We are open every day until the sale. The part one sale is the 17th. Part two sale is the 18th. You can come now and see highlights. I encourage you to come now and see highlights and then please come back. I know it's annoying, but we do have coffee and you can come back on the 13th to see it all. Uh, it's not annoying. I think one of the great joys of this season or these seasons is being able to come back again and again. I mean, you know, you don't get the best out of art just standing in front of it one time. And so, you know, the fact that it's open, the fact that we're going to get to see all of this stuff rehung in a different sure. um, uh, arrangement, I think, is also uh, a rare 
uh, opportunity. So, yes. so just remind after after the thir right now the highlights are up. After the thirteenth, thirteenth at noon, it will be rehung. So when you're at freeze the week of the fifteenth, come by and see me. Sold. Thank you for joining us at the Artelligence Podcast, edited by Colin Ketchin, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the LiveArt app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Artelligence Podcast. We're looking forward to it. <laughs>